The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, if you uh, got your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab those. We're going to open those up to uh, the book of Galatians. Uh, Chapter 4 is where we are. We've been going through uh, the book of Galatians for, uh, I believe this is our 10th or 11th week, so we're in chapter 4. My name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here, and let me just uh, welcome you and thank you guys for uh, being with us this morning. Uh, if you're, this is your first time, we're in the middle of an of a, uh, initiative called Coats for Kids. And uh, Coats for Kids is our way of just loving on our community, uh, giving back to those who are around us. And so we have identified some families in our area uh, that are uh, either out of work or short on work or uh, can't work or even are working but are just find themselves in a really tough time. And we've stepped in the gap and we've said, hey, we want to help provide coats for your kids this winter because if you have kids, you know that they outgrow coats almost every year. And so there, there's coats out there. So uh, as of Last week, uh, you came in here and we told you that we had 70 kids on the list uh, that needed coats. And and so from last Sunday to this Sunday, I want to give you the update. We have now 99 kids on the list. All right, and so listen, we, we, we maxed out at 100 coats, and so if you've adopted uh, a child for a coat, thank you so much. If you have not, we need your help, and so there's two ways to help us uh, reach out with these coats for kids. One is right after service today, you can go back to the table. Uh, you can see the list of names. You'll get a, a card if you adopt a child. You'll get a card with their name on it and their coat size. You're going to take that card, and you're going to go buy a new coat, and you're going to bring it back here at church with that with that label so that we know who it goes to, right? And then we're going to deliver those coats between November 11th and November 18th. The second way you can get involved is if you can't buy a coat, you can just simply give online. Go to our donation center. uh, Go to Coats for Kids, and there's a little drop down there, and you can give straight to the Coats for Kids. So whatever's left over, we can go out and help uh, buy those coats. You guys with me on that? All right. Speaking of coats, it's getting a little colder. Uh, we're, uh, we're just now warming up our heater system in here, so I see many of you got your coats on. Uh, how many of you guys are ready for uh, Tuesday night? You got your candy bowls ready? You got your fire pits ready, right? Because there's going to be a lot of kids coming to your house asking for some candy, right? Uh, how many of you guys trick-or-treat? Anybody trick-or-treat? Two of you? Okay. All right. There's, there's some trick-or-treaters in here. How many of you go with your kids to trick-or-treat? All right, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I used to go trick-or-treating. I don't know where this whole thing started, uh, but somewhere, uh, somehow, someone said, I know, here's a good idea, Uh, let's lure kids to our doorstep by offering them candy. I don't know why we think that's a good idea, but we're going with it. Uh, And and so once they get here, once they get to the door, we're going to try and scare them. And so maybe the kids kind of counteract that by dressing up in different costumes. Uh, But whatever the reason is, uh, as a kid, I didn't mind. I didn't mind going to the door. I didn't mind getting scared. I didn't mind someone jumping out of the bushes, whatever, right? Uh, As long as there was a Reese's peanut butter cup at the end of that journey, right? Amen. How many of you are Reese's peanut butter cup fans? Right? You could get all kinds of candy, but I love the Reese's peanut butter cup. And and so when I was a kid, uh, I I used to hate the, the junky candies. You know what I'm talking about, junkie candy? That's like the, the sweet tarts, the, the smarties. And, and, and so, listen, when I was a kid, uh, there were so many times, I never did this, but I wanted to. We were joking around. I wanted to, like, go to the door and put my bag, like, behind my back and just hold out my hand to see what they would give me, to see if it was even worth putting in my bag, 
right? And if you, you give me those little, those little peanut butter balls wrapped in that orange or black wax paper, you know what I'm talking about? So many times I just wanted to be like, no. <laughs> right? Hang a sign on their door that says, this house hates kids, don't come here. Right? I'm one of those guys, man. I give out the cheap candy. No, uh, I, 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 I love trick-or-treating. I loved uh, doing that thing. And, and listen, um, I'll, I'll just tell you, some of you, uh, you give out uh, Jesus tracts or Jesus info or, or church tracts when you uh, have trick-or-treaters. Listen, if you do that, give out the good stuff, okay? Particularly if it's life point stuff, all right? You're going to give king size in that, in that area. Don't, don't give out, give out, don't give out the, the junk candy. And I don't know how uh, trick-or-treating became like this uh, spooky thing. Like someone said that spider webs were spooky, so we just put cotton on our house. Uh, I don't know what that's about. But anyway, uh, I was never really scared. I think Hollywood movies have probably played a big role into making this holiday a, a spooky holiday, right? I'm an 80s kid. Any 80 kids out there? All right, so I'm an, I'm an 80s kid, uh, and I grew up on uh, uh, the, the scariest movie of all time, which is Friday the 13th. Right? How many of you have seen Friday the 13th? So, uh, Friday the 13th, do you realize uh, that, that, uh, that Friday the 13th has 12 movies? There's 12 Friday the 13th movies. And, and so what Hollywood does is they like to take this, this idea of the demons and the hauntings and the zombies and the ghosts, and, and they love to put it out there over and over again. You want to know why they do that? It's because you love it. And you pay for it. And it doesn't matter if it's the same movie over and over again. You don't care. You'll go see it, right? 12, Friday, listen, in 1980, they came out with Friday the 13th. In 1981, part two, 1982, part three. Then Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Yeah, right. Right? Because after the final chapter came Friday the 13th, the new beginning, and they started all over again. Right, and then there's then there's part part six, and then there's part seven, and then there's part eight where Jason goes to Manhattan. Woo! Who doesn't want to see that? Right, and then and then there's uh, Jason goes to hell, which is the final Friday. Not really. Right after the final Friday came Jason X or Jason Ted, then Freddy versus Jason, and then they had to go back in 2009 and make Friday the 13th. Twelve movies. Listen, it's the same thing over and over and over again, isn't it? I mean, every time you see uh, these movies, I, I can't remember the last time I saw one of these scary movies, uh, but I, I remember that when you would see them, there was always this uh, fight or flight reflex. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you get scared, you're walking down the hall, one of your kids jumps out to you. What's your first reaction? To, to jump and run or to hit them? <laughs> That's the fight or flight, right? How dare you? Don't you ever... Right? And so if I was in one of these movies, I would, I would be a little bit of both, fight and flight. Like, I'm the kind of guy who would stand his ground, right, punch you in the throat, kick you in the leg, and then run. That's me, right? Because, listen, with these gazelle legs, I can run fast and far, right? I can run forever, all right? They never cast me in a movie because what I would do is I would punch that guy, and then I would run, and you'd never see me again. Like, that dude's quick. Dang. And so you always see these goons. They always cast the, the fools, right? The fools that, like, trap themselves in a corner, like, oh, what am I going to do? There's nowhere out. Or, or they're running through the woods, and they fall, like, six times. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, that, that, that guy's an idiot. He's a clumsy fool. You deserve what's coming to you if you can't run right, 
right? And so here's the deal. I just, I just was never scared. I thought they were super cheesy. Anybody else? I thought all these movies are super cheesy. But there, there is one, one scene that always seems to come up in all of these movies, and it's the scene that, that is probably the scariest. It is the one where, um, where you don't know the person's in the house with you. You know what I'm talking about? Like in one moment, like, like she's in there and she's cutting the carrots, right? Or she's folding the laundry or, you know, you're, you're, you're brushing your teeth. And, and, and you don't know that right behind the corner, like, like, like the, the villain is right there. And, and you know what we do? This is what we do. I don't know. I, this is what I do. You, you, you start talking to the TV. You start talking to the don't, 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 don't go there. Don't, don't go down the hall. No, no, not the kitchen. Don't, he's in the kitchen. Don't go in there. And they don't know, right? They're going right. And then you're like, oh, no, no, not the basement. Don't. Oh, God. What are you doing? Why would you even go to the basement? It doesn't even make sense. There's nothing you need down there. Don't go. And so we, we, start, we start begging because it's like, oh, you don't even know. You're in trouble. And, and so here's the deal is they have no idea, and you try and warn them, right? Anybody ever do that? I'm going to try to warn the people on the screen. I do that all the time. Here, here's, here's, here's what I need to tell you. It, it's today's text in Galatians. It may be one of the most terrifying texts in the scripture. It, it may be that because, because Paul's going to tell us that he's afraid for you. He's afraid for the Galatians. He says, I, I'm afraid for you because here's what's happening is you're going down a path of destruction. Like you're, you're, you're actually in danger and you don't even know it. He's like, there's, there, there's something right around the corner and it's destructive and it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you and it's going to kill you. And listen, you don't even know. You're just simply minding your own business. And in reality, you're in more danger than you even realize. So I just want to show you this text, and hopefully it'll lead us to a place to really examine our hearts and say, where am I at? Am I in danger? Am I good with God? So look at it with me. Chapter 4, chapter 4, starting in verse 8. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And so some of the texts would say, that say, you're enslaved to gods that are not gods. You're enslaved, you're entrapped to these gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles? Everyone say elementary principles. How can you turn back to elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I am afraid. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Now, this is terrifying because what the Bible just said is that the Galatians, before they came to faith in Jesus, they were worshiping and pursuing elementary principles. They were worshiping and pursuing, listen, gods that are not gods. You follow me with that? And so what we know about the church at Galatia is that it was really filled with two types of people here. 
All right? And these two types of people, one, were the, the Jewish background people. So these were the hyper-religious, hyper-ritualistic, uh, and they would do things over and over again because they think in their doing those things, God would somehow be pleased. So they were very religious, very upright, very external good, all right? But then you had over here the, the pagan worshipers, the, these, these guys who would just simply uh, worship false idols and pursue other gods and actually make sacrifices to them. It was idol worship. And, and so what they were caught in is they believed that if they needed something from God, they would need to please that spiritual force in order to get what they needed. You with me on that? Let me give you an example. If you were a farmer and you needed it to rain, you would make a sacrifice to the rain god or whoever that was, right? And you would sacrifice and do this and do this, and then hopefully it would rain. Or if you wanted to get married, you would make a different sacrifice to uh, the god of marriage, and that's what way you would fall in love, and then they would bless you with, uh, with someone that you could be married to. Or if you needed a baby or wanted to have a baby, you would make a sacrifice, perform this ritual, do this thing, walk this way, right? Sacrifice this way so that somehow that god would be pleased, and then he would bless you with what you wanted. And so what he's saying is that these are not gods. You're, you're, you're enslaved. You're enslaved to duty. You're enslaved to sacrifices. You're enslaved. They're not even gods. They're actually elementary principles, which means they are dark spiritual forces behind every one of our idols. Every one. Now, the Bible is going to say that these spiritual powers... They cannot deliver on what they promise. They can't give you what you really need. They can't bring you to a point where you really need to be. And he says they, they are not, they're not gods. They're not sovereign. They're not powerful. And they actually lead you astray. He says before they knew God, actually before they were known by God, they were enslaved to pagan, elementary, spiritual principles. They were enslaved by worshiping and sacrificing to gods that were not gods. Now here's the scary part. Here's the scary part because he says that before Christ, some of you were enslaved to these dark spiritual sacrifices, these gods that were not gods. But now he says the same thing about the religious people. Look, look at what he says in verse 10. In verse 10, he says, now you Observe days and months and seasons and years, and I am afraid. What he just said is that before you knew God, you were enslaved to performance. Before you knew God, you were enslaved to sacrifices and elementary principles. And I am afraid for you because right now you are enslaved to religious ceremonies. You are enslaved by trying to clean yourself up. You're enslaved by Sabbath observances and daily feasts and new moon rituals and Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles and years of Jubilee and sabbatical year. Listen, he says you are so consumed with days and months and years and seasons that you're missing the substance. You're missing Christ. You're missing the freedom that is found in living and dying for Christ. You're so consumed with elementary principles. It's like he's saying you're in danger and you don't even know it. You're in danger. You were once enslaved to trying to appease some type of gods that actually aren't gods. But now you're enslaved to elementary principles once again. Only now it's through your religious behavior. 
It's like he's saying you're enslaved to your appearance of godliness, but you deny the power of Christ. You want to appear godly, but you have no power that comes from Jesus himself. You're trapped in religious duty. It's like you're in danger and you don't even know it. We live in a culture, we live in, a, in an age, we live in an area, per se, that, that so many people believe that your church attendance somehow keeps you right before God. Somehow your, your church attendance or your religious, ritualistic duty, somehow God looks at that and says, wow, I'm impressed, now I love you. And so we live, in a, we live in an age where we think we need to go to church because if I go to church, I feel better about me, and I feel better about me because I think God looks better at me. And so over and over again, we think that somehow by doing something, God looks down and smiles. But listen, if you believe that, you have bought into a belief system that is encompassed with elementary principles, and you're worshiping religion. And listen to me, you're not worshiping Jesus. When you you believe that, you are actually chasing a self-righteousness and you're not not chasing Jesus. You're not being filled with Jesus. And some of you are here today because it's Sunday and that's just what you do. And that's just what you've been brought up doing and that's just where you come from. And that's what your mama and your daddy taught you to do is go to church on Sunday. But if you're honest, you're not really walking in freedom. I mean, if you're honest, you you don't really have this genuine delight for the Lord. If you're honest, you'd be like, Eric, I am burdened, and I am heavy laden, and I have no real victory in Christ, and my Monday, and my Tuesday, and my Wednesday looks no different than any other day of the week, and my life looks no different than my neighbor who doesn't know Christ. Because if I was honest, what I'm doing is I am enslaved to religious practice, but I don't know the power that comes in Christ. And Paul says, I am afraid for you. It terrifies me. It terrifies me because you're enslaved to religious religious practice. And listen to me. The danger that so many religious churchgoers are in today is that you don't know God, yet you have no idea that you don't know God. Because you think that knowing God is equated with church attendance. Because you think that knowing God is equated with some type of religious behavior. Well, if I just simply do this, or if I go here, or if I do this, doesn't that give the resemblance, the reflection that I know God? And he says, listen, you don't even know you're in danger. I'm afraid for you. He says, he says the text is saying that you're in danger, you're enslaved to elementary principles, and you're, and you're trying to use rituals as a means of salvation. Now listen to me, because I think church attendance is important. I think, I think life groups and small groups and worshiping in a community and praying for one another and all of those things are important. Listen, I think that church attendance is an excellent way to sanctify you. It's an excellent way to move you forward and to grow you. Listen, I would not be where I'm at today unless the church gathered around me. 
unless I put myself in a situation where other people can encourage me and pray with me and push me forward and challenge me and teach me and show me and disciple me. Listen, we need the church. We need groups. We need times where we just sit in circles. There's times we sit in rows. There's times where we just use one another. Life groups are spectacular to see and grow in Jesus Christ. But if you're using them as a method of salvation, if you're saying God is pleased with me because I do this, you're enslaved to an elementary principle. You're enslaved to a God that's not really God. It it doesn't work. It doesn't fulfill what it's supposed to do. Listen, you joining a church will never, never, never justify you. It never will. That's why Christ came. That's why Christ had to die. That's why Christ had to live in your place and die in your place and raise to life and say, I'm offering you eternal life in me. That's why Christ came. Religious rituals are elementary. They're secondary to your personal relationship with Christ. All the religious things that you do are means, but they're not the substance. They're tools that are used by the Holy Spirit to bring you into the fullness of Christ, but they are not salvation itself. And so the church and these groups and these religious activities, they're all beneficial, but they are not the foundation. And he says, I'm afraid that you've been worshiping these religion rather than worshiping Christ. Now, look at how he pleads with them, verse 12. He says, brothers... In one moment, he says, I'm afraid for you, but now he says, I entreat you. This word entreat, it means to plead. It means to beg. It means to cry out. It means to hurt for. He says, brothers, I hurt for you. I beg you. He says, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. He's pleading them, turn from your false gospels. Turn from your duty, rich behavior. Turn from your rituals. Turn from your false sacrifices and come to Christ. Listen, he says, come where I am because I'm free. Yet in prison, right? Like, I am free. Come come as I am because there's freedom in Christ. There's freedom to be had. Come where I am because I've been where you are. And listen, it doesn't work. I've been caught up in, in religion. Paul's done everything to the T, and he says, I've found it, I've seen it, and I wasn't free, but now I'm free. Would you come where I am? There's joy to be had. He says, come to Jesus. Look at what it says. This is an interesting text. Read it with me. He says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have been, I've become as you are. You, You did me no wrong. You know that it was because of bodily and ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And through my condition, although my condition was a trial to you, you you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Now, now this is kind of a weird text, but, but this, is, this is what we're picking up from it. That, that Paul, when the, the, the day that Paul came to Galatia and he began to proclaim the gospel to them, he had some sort of sickness, some sort of ailment, probably had something to do with his eyes. 
And he said it was actually a trial to you, which may mean that it was contagious. Like, you got to keep your distance. I know I'm hard to look at. I know I've got this thing going on, right? But he says, you didn't reject me. You received me. You, you received the message. Even though I had a problem back then, he says, you, he says, you received me. I know, I know my message didn't come well packaged, and you had every right to go to another church. You had every right to turn the channel, listen to another preacher, maybe someone who is better looking. Listen, you had every right, but you didn't do that. Why? He says, why didn't you, why didn't you give up on me? You actually would have given up your own eyes for me. Remember? Remember how, how, how much in unity that we were when I came with you, came to you with the gospel? He says, the reason why you did it is because you saw beauty and you saw truth in what I was saying. You saw the richness that was in Christ of my message that I was bringing to you. It persuaded you. It moved you. It started to transform you. And the gospel message that was proclaimed to you was transforming to you. And now he says, but what happened? But what happened? Like, what are you doing now? Look in verse 16. He, he says, what happened? He says, you would have given me your own eyes. Have I, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? He says, I'm telling you the truth because I love you. I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm afraid for you. You're worshiping these other things and I'm afraid for you. Listen, don't, don't make me your enemy because I'm telling you the truth. You know what they do is they make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. These elementary principles, they shut you out. They make much of you. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I was present with you, my little children. Listen to verse 19. My little children, like he's begging with his kids. For whom am I again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you? Let me read that again. I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's saying when we come to faith in Jesus and we free from the law and we free from workspace righteousness and we free, flee from religion, we're no longer enslaved to gods that are not gods. And he says when that happens, it does not result in self-righteousness. It does not result in you making much of you. It doesn't result in you and your self-glory. What happens when you're set free, it allows you to make much of him. It allows you to make much of Christ. It actually allows you to free yourself up and say, look at what Christ has done. Look at his righteousness. Look at his glory. But all of these elementary principles, they want to make much of you to say, look how clean I am. Look how awesome I am. Look at how great I've done. Look at the sacrifices I've made. Look at how, how religious I am. And he says, listen, that doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. He says, when you're really set free, it allows you to make much of him. He says, my little children, I am in anguish over you until Christ would be formed in you. That's a powerful statement. It's a powerful statement. Like, it's like a mother over her child. It's like a mother who's about to give birth, he says. It's like a painful anticipation. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? It's an anticipation of something that is 
beautifully going to come. But right now, it's a little painful. It's this painful anticipation. Paul says, he says, become as I am, which means come so that Christ would be formed in you. That's what he's saying. Come as I am. He means let Christ be formed in you. He says, die like I've died. Give up your life for Christ's sake. Live by faith in the Son of God. Let that be the life in you. Let that be the life that shapes you. Let life, that life be the life that forms you. Paul's whole ministry was like a mother in labor pains, was it not? Painful anticipation over the church. Come free. Be set free. No more law. Come to, come to Christ. Be set free by the Spirit. Become as I am. Let Christ be formed in you. That's his entire message. And he says, listen, these elementary principles, these gods that are not gods, these gods want to make much of you and your work. They want to shut you out. They want you to make much of them. And it's fueled by a love for human praise. But listen, he says, listen, if you chase, this self-centered, self-righteous, ego-building worship, in the end, you will be shut out from God's blessing, and you don't even realize it. And he says, don't you see why I'm afraid for you? Don't you see that you're in danger and you don't even know it? But listen to what he says in verse 12. He says, I beg you. I'm pleading with you. Remember when we first started? Remember when you gave your life completely and you walked away from all those things? Remember when I came to you with that message and you received it? I'm begging you now, don't go down that road. You're in danger. Come to Christ. Be set free in Christ. Now, this experience that Paul is talking about, when he says, let Christ be formed in you, this is the process of spiritual formation. This is growing into Christ's likeness. This is shaped in the presence of God. That's what he's talking about. It's, it's like he says in chapter 2, verse 20. It says, it's no longer I who live, but rather Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up. So, so listen, he's saying, die to yourself. Let go of that, the elementary principles. Let go of those things that so easily entangle you and encompass you. He says, let go of those and die to yourself and let Christ live in you. When Christ shapes and forms your inner life, when he shapes your heart, you don't glorify in yourself anymore. You don't say how awesome I am. You say how awesome is he. And so the question is, Eric, well, how does that happen? How is Christ formed in me? That's what verse 19 says. I'm, I'm begging you, let Christ be formed in you. Well, in, in verse 19, it says Christ is formed in you. In chapter 4, verse 6, it says that Christ comes to us by his spirit. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. In chapter 3, verse 5, it says the one who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does so not by works of the law, but rather by hearing with what? With faith. In other words, what you and I need to be transformed, 
to, to have Christ formed in us. What In our quest for, for fullness of Christ is we need the Spirit, and we need the Spirit to do miracles in us. That's what we need. We need, to, we need to beg the Spirit, be formed in me. Both which comes, both miracles and the Spirit come by faith. Not by elementary principles. Not by observing days and weeks and months and seasons. But rather through faith. So how is Christ formed in you? By faith. Which means our response now is to rely on him. To ask him, to plead with him, oh God, would you come, oh Spirit, would you come? Would you form this heart that is as hard as stone and shape it into a heart of flesh? Would you take everything that is self-righteous in me and remove it and let me fix my eyes and my heart completely on you? We ask God by faith and say, God, would you do this? We let go of all of our to-do lists for God. We take our hands off the clay that tries to so shape our own lives and mold our own lives and step back and say, God, would you mold me? Would you shape me? Would you, would you move in me in such a way that my heart comes completely yours? And, and some of you today, listen, that may be the first time you've ever done that. Maybe today's the first time that you ever really trusted Christ to say, God, I need you to shape my life. I beg you, brothers. I entreat you, I beg you, give your life to Jesus. Give your life to God. Give your life to Christ. Let the Spirit form you. Would you trust him? Would you trust him to do that? Others, you are here today, and if you're honest, you would look back at months, years, and seasons of your life. You look back, and you see a golden era. You see, you see a moment where you were passionate about the Lord. You see a, a season of your life where you were really on fire for God and, and Jesus was really shaping you. But if you're honest, you look at your life today and you say, Eric, something's changed. Something's different. I, I'm not that person I used to be. And maybe, maybe, maybe for you, you, you've been this kind of settling into the world. You kind of got caught up with, with work and business and family, and you, and, you, and you had this vibrant passion for Christ, but somehow it's faded. And, and, the, and the powerful spiritual forces in your life, listen, are no longer coming from Christ. Those powerful spiritual forces that are leading you are actually coming from some, some religious duty or some elementary principles. But listen, I beg you this morning, let the Spirit of Christ refresh your soul today. Let him bring you to a point of, of just confession to say, man, I need the Spirit. Some of you, you've been doing church so long. And listen, we don't walk in here just saying, man, I hope the music is good. Listen, you know what we do? We say, oh, man, I hope the music is good because I'm looking to some elementary principle to somehow change me. 
Oh, I hope the preacher's good because I'm looking for some elementary principle to come out. Save me. I, I, hope, I hope that the fellowship, I hope all these things are good. I hope that I can get an elementary principle that would somehow satisfy my soul. And listen, you've gone days and seasons and months and years, and you are no better off because you've missed out on Christ himself. And he says, I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid you just simply do church looking for satisfaction, and you miss the substance of Jesus. I pray that today, as you've walked in here, like you walked in here maybe a hundred times, that really we would get down on our faces and say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to play this game anymore. I need you, and I need your spirit, and I need you to grow inside of me. I want the fullness of Christ in me. And so listen, let me give you some encouragement. Paul would not have written this letter to the Galatians with such urgency if there was no hope for them. And in the same way, if you find yourself in a dark place, there's hope for you. He's begging us, come to Christ. Come by faith. Come and ask the Spirit to renew you. Remove your hands from your life and say, Jesus, I surrender. I surrender. Trust him. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to wash you. Ask him to make you create. Ask him, Jesus, to be formed in you. And I'm going to pray for that. Will you pray with me? Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. I thank you, God, for coming to my place. I thank you, God, that you've made a way for me outside of myself, outside of my work, outside of my behavior for me to be made righteous before you. I thank you for the cross and the sacrifice for my sins and everything that separated me from you. Today, Lord, I want to put my trust and my hope and my faith completely in you. And I want you to move in my life in such a way. I want you to send your spirit in my life in such a way that would compel me to chase you wholeheartedly, to have a, a complete passion for you. Oh, Jesus, would you come and be formed in me? Would you teach me what it looks like to walk away from elementary principles? To walk away from my gods and my idols that are not God. Teach me today, O oh Lord, to seek your face and to trust you alone. Heavenly Father, we need you. We need you in a mighty way. Right now, right where you're at. I want you to spend a moment to really examine your hearts. I don't want to just simply speak over you, but I want you to listen to God in this moment. We live in an age that moves so fast that sometimes we never stop to ask ourselves, are we in danger? Am I in danger? Am I worshiping gods that aren't gods? Am I looking for elementary principles to satisfy me? Ask the Holy Spirit right now, right where you sit, in your moment of silence, to speak to your heart. Put your faith in him.
Lord, as a people, as a church, come before you, God. Show us our hearts. Lay us bare before you now. Let us turn away from everything that entangles us, that enslaves us and traps us. Let us turn and fix our eyes on you. Send your spirit, O oh God. Lead us, form us, and shape us into a passionate, on-fire church for you and your kingdom. Jesus said...